So we're going through what the Bible has to say about relationships in general. And um, tonight is sort of the last piece of creating the foundation. Uh, and I'll explain what, we get, what, what I mean by that. But um, I really do feel like um, it would be um, dishonest for me not to say on the front end some of the people that I've been largely leaning on throughout this series and who I will lean on for the rest of the semester. Uh, if there's anything that you've heard that has been good and insightful, it probably was not from me. I probably stole it from somewhere. So, so I just want to cite my sources, kind of like you put footnotes at the bottom of your, of your paper. Sort of the, the main thinkers, the main people that I'm indebted to is, who've really shaped my thinking on this issue uh, are a few men in particular. Tim Keller, uh, Les Newsome, uh, Brian Habig, Doug Servan, John Stone. If you don't know those names, some of those names are RUF campus ministers and other um, campuses. Some of those are, guys are local pastors and um, different congregations. So all I have to say is tonight is sort of the last piece of creating the foundation. And, and what we're going to talk about tonight is friendship, is we're going to look at friendship. And I know for some of you, you may think, that's just a kind of a lame topic to kind of end the foundation on. It's not very interesting. It's not very sexy to us. And I think there's a few reasons why uh, friendship is not very interesting. It's because, I mean, look at the magazines that are out there. If you go by the, if you go by the you know, grocery store and you see you know, People magazine right there, it's, not, it's basically just talking about who is hooking up with who. You know, it's, it never says front line like... Jessica Simpson is friends with Justin Bieber now. Like, like it never announces friendships. It's just who Jessica Simpson is shacking up with, and so it's not very, it's not a very interesting uh, topic for us. I think another reason why friendship is not that interesting is is largely because of Facebook. I mean, we have hundreds, some of you thousands, of friends. And I think just sort of the glut of artificial internet friendships. Uh, have so kind of saturated our idea of friendship that it's really not that meaningful to us. I think another reason why uh, we're not excited about talking about friendship is a largely part of the bad connotation involved with it. I mean, think, for example, if you really, really like someone and they say to you, I just want to be friends... You're not, like, thrilled about that. Like, a friendship. I'm really excited that that's what you want to be with me. Is like, no, this is a bad option. So, so with, all that in, with all that in mind, I mean, the, the reason we are looking at this, the reason why we're spending a whole night to talk about friendship is because friendship is at the heart of dating and marriage and sex. You will never be a good dater. You will never have a good dating relationship. You will never have a good marriage. You will never have a good sex life until you first learn to be a friend. And so really, if you hear me say anything tonight, hear me say this at the, you know, at the beginning. Every uh, friendship is the beginning and the end of every worthwhile relationship. If you don't hear me say anything else, hear me say that. Friendship is the beginning and the end of every worthwhile relationship. So with all that said, what I want to do is I want to look at these passages from the book of Proverbs, or this various collection, and see what this has to teach us about friendship. So you can reference this little sheet or grab a Bible and uh, flip it open. We'll just kind of look at these different Proverbs. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and read it. And I'll remind you that this is God's word for us tonight. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 
A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. All right, this is God's word for us. Before we jump in and look at this, I'd like uh, to pray with you. So if you would, please pray with me. Father, before we consider this, uh, we just want to pause and take time to um, ask for your help. Uh, This is not just something we do because this is just what you do after you read a passage in the Bible, but we really um, need your help. We need you to come and be our teacher. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and open up our eyes and unclog our ears because, because we can't see, we can't hear apart from your intervening and enabling grace. So please come and be our teacher now. And to that end, we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to look at three things from this passage tonight. Uh, I want to talk about the nature of friendship, the relevance of friendship, and then the power for friendship. Okay? So the nature of friendship, the relevance for friendship, and the power for friendship. So, okay, let's look at the nature of friendship. In other words, what is it? And what I want to do is I want to kind of camp here for at least... A little while. We'll probably spend more time on this point than anything else. And unpack from these Proverbs uh, four different characteristics of what makes a friend a friend. And so you can kind of look at each of these. I want to look at these one at a time. And you can kind of fill in the blank of true and authentic friendship is characterized by this. Here's the first one. Chosen commitment. That's the first characteristic, chosen commitment. Again, look at those first two Proverbs. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Okay, chosen commitment. Both of those words are important. Chosen, meaning uh, that a friendship is deliberate, it's it's intentional, it's something that is actually... Chosen, And so this is how a friendship differs from a sibling. Again, if you looked at that first, proverb, that first proverb, it says that your family will be there through adversity. You know, your brother will be there in the hard times. Your brother will be there in adversity. But the sort of the assumption is, is he kind of has to. At least that's the assumption. I mean, he's your family. He may be there in the hard times, but he may not necessarily like you. And so look at the second proverb. It says that a friend is actually better than a sibling. It's, be, it's because they stick closer. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because um, they didn't just get assigned to you. Y'all just don't share the same parents, but they, they voluntarily chose you. They voluntarily like, selected you and said, I want to be your friend. They, they've chosen you. So that's, that's, an, that's an important component there. But here's the second word in there, chosen commitment. Look at that first proverb again. It says that a friend loves at all times. Good times, bad times, uh, they're there. This means that a friendship is not based on convenience. It's not, hey, I'll be friends with you as long as I'm getting something out of this. Hey, I'll be friends with you as long as we're getting along with each other. 
I'll be friends with you as long as whatever. It says, no, a friend is there through thick and thin. A a friend loves at all times. And I, I love that word in the second proverb there when it says that they stick closer to a brother. Stick closer than a brother. It's, you know, that, that is like, it's this imagery of like glue. They're like glue stuck on you. And so that's the first characteristic of true, authentic friendship is that it is chosen commitment. Okay? Here's the second characteristic. Commiseration. Commiseration. Okay, look at, um, look at that next proverb there. It says, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to, an, to a heavy heart. Okay, commiseration literally means to cry with, to mourn with, to be miserable with, in a sense. It means to hurt with them, to enter into their pain and hurt with them. And so what I think this is getting at is that if you can sing songs, if you can sing happy songs while your friend is upset, then you're not their friend. If you can be happy while your friend is upset, then that's not real friendship. Now why is that? It's because a real friend has their happiness tied up in their other friend's happiness. When, when my friend is happy, that's when I'm happy. When, when my friend is crushed, that's when I feel crushed. Our, our hearts are so connected that we feel the same thing. If you're crushed and you're feeling depressed and I can look at you and be happy, we're not really connected then. You see how that makes sense? It, it's, this is why it says it's like taking off their coat in the middle of a, you know, a cold day. It's like in the middle of a boon winter, you just rip off their coat and say, this is what this relationship feels like to you, right? But I think that this also, this proverb is also getting at the way that we relate to our friends when they're hurting. In other words, if somebody comes to you and they're hurting, this is a friend of yours, and they have a heavy heart, they're burdened by something, and you try to cheer them up, but you know, it, it, nobody would actually try to sing them songs to cheer them up. But inevitably, you're saying these happy things to like try and cheer them up. What you're basically doing is, I see you hurting. I don't want to enter into your pain and hurt with you. I'm going to just stand at a distance and kind of just lob care packages at you and hope that that cheers you up. Here's something nice to say. Here's a little cliche. Cheer up. It'll get better or whatever. Now, my wife, Catherine, um, has a very, uh, some, someone very close to her, and she was telling this particular person something very hard about her life, something that she was really struggling with, hurting with, and don't worry, this is not anybody in this room. And uh, this person said to her, it'll get better, and then just tried to change the subject. And, and this conversation happened over and over and over where... Catherine would share something really hard, and then this person would say, well, don't worry, it'll get better. And Catherine and I were talking about it after the fact, and she was really, you know, this is like, was, that made it worse to have this person look at her and say that. So she felt actually more sad that this was this person's reaction and that they did not enter into her hurts and her pain with her. And so just think about it. If you're going through a hard time, how do you feel when someone comes to you and just sort of slaps on little bumper sticker cliches? I mean, how do you feel, right? You feel either angry at that person or maybe if you're nicer than I am, you at least feel like appreciative that they were trying to help or trying to do something. But it doesn't help. And so if it doesn't help, then why do we give such similar responses to our friends when they're hurting? Instead of refusing to enter into and dive into their pain with them and just hurt with them and just cry with them. That's the second characteristic that I want you to see, commiseration. 
Here's the third. Confrontation. See how they're all starting with C? Okay. Um, look at the next one. The next proverb, verse uh, 27.5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, this is kind of weird. This is paradoxical because it's talking about friendly wounds, but kisses from an enemy. Friendly wounds, but enemies kisses. Now, what is a friendly wound? A friendly wound is, is something hard that your friend needs to hear that's going to be hard for them to hear, but yet that they have to hear. It's something that they have to hear about themselves, even though it's going to be hard for them to hear at the time. And this means that you are, you are confronting your friends. You are saying hard things to them. But what I want you to see is that you're not saying hard things to them in sort of this retaliatory, angry tone where you're fighting against them. This is actually talking about lovingly fighting for them. Confrontation is fighting for them. <coughs> you remember the end of the uh, first Harry Potter story? When they're at the um, uh, Great Hall or whatever, and Dumbledore stands up, and here's what he says at the end. There are all kinds of courage. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. Of course, he's talking about how you know, Neville Longbottom, how he conf- confronted all you know, the gang. He confronted them at the end, and so he awards him 10 points at the end, and Gryffindor wins, and it's ah, game over. You know? <laughs> Just exposed my nerdness. But um, confronting your friends, it takes courage, and I think Dumbledore's right, as he is on most things, that um, <laughs> confronting your friends actually takes probably more courage, if not the same, but maybe more courage than it is to actually confront your enemies. But okay, here's the deal. What if you are afraid to say hard things to your, your friends and you're so afraid that you don't ever say what you need to say? What if you're so afraid that you actually withhold what you want to say and never tell them the hard things that they need to hear? What happens then? Well, according to this uh, passage, it says that you are actually being their enemy. You're not being their friend. You're, you're kissing them and being their enemy, and you're actually setting them up for destruction. L- look, at this, look at this proverb here at the end, 29.5. Uh, it says, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. If you don't tell them the truth about them, the hard truth, if you only flatter them, if you only say the nice things and you never say the hard things, it says like you're, you're spreading a net for them. You're setting a trap for them. You, they are walking into a disaster zone of their own doing because you're setting them up that way. This is the act of an enemy, not the act of a friend. You know, one of the biggest turning points in my life was a conversation that I had in college. Uh, two of my closest friends, Blake and Clint at the time, came into my dorm room and they sat me down and they looked at me and they said, Matt, you are a social chameleon. We have noticed that when you're hanging out with this group of people, you act uh, uh, this sort of way. And then around this group of people, you act a totally different sort of way. So from our vantage point, you're wearing all these different masks and you're becoming all these different people to try to impress all these different groups. Now, what were they doing in that, in that conversation? They were exposing something in me that I had no idea that I was doing. 
They were exposing the fact that, look, you so want to commit, you, you so want other people's approval that you're willing to shift your entire personality around this group, around this group, or around this group. I had no idea that I was doing it. Now, how did I feel at the time? I, I was uh, hurt that here we are having this conversation. Uh, to be honest, I was pissed off with, at them for, for initiating this sort of conversation. But man, it, had they not said that, well, let me just tell you, after we had that conversation, I had this category at the forefront of my mind where as I went out and then did life, I began to realize, I became so much more self-aware. When I, when, man, I really realized when I'm with this group of people, I do kind of act sillier or goofier with this group of people. And then when I'm, when I'm with this group over here, I do kind of act more artistic and artsy and philosophical. And when I'm hanging out with this group over here, I am, you know, talking about sports and like punching guys in the shoulders and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I began to realize okay, there is a dimension to my sin here that is so much deeper than I had any idea where I really am willing to morph my personhood, my identity, my personality to fit in with other people. I want other people's approval so much that I'm willing to sort of give up my identity and I would have never known it had they not loved me enough to see it and and loved me enough to speak it into my life. And so here's the thing. You have to ask yourself the, the, the question, do I love this person more or do I love our relationship more? Do I love my friend more or do I love our friendship more? Because if you love the friend more, you will risk the relationship for a season to say something hard to your friend that they need to hear. But if you love the relationship more, you will never... You will never risk it. You will never jeopardize the relationship to say the hard thing to them. And as a result, you will stay quiet. But what you have to see is that if that is the option that you're choosing, you don't love, it's not that you don't love them. It's actually that you only love you. I love what I'm getting out of this relationship so much that I'm not willing to risk it. My needs are more important than their health. That's what you're saying. I refuse to confront, I will only kiss, I will only flatter, and the Bible says you're an enemy then. Here's the fourth characteristic. Confession. Look at uh, 27.9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Earnest basically just means from the heart. Counsel, there's a wide range of meaning of what that word counsel means, but uh, it can mean secrets. And so I think this means, uh, this is talking about telling secrets from the heart. This is telling uh, personal, intimate things about yourself. This is being uh, emotionally vulnerable. That's what it means, to be confessional. Again, my my buddies Blake and Clint um, and my other buddy Russ, the four of us, uh, we live all over the country now, but uh, once a year we all fly in uh, and stay at this cabin right outside of Asheville for an extended weekend. And uh, it's an amazing weekend. It's one of my favorite weekends of the whole year. Uh, We do all kinds of fun stuff. We play paintball. We go whitewater rafting. We're actually gearing up for this uh, race that we're going to do next month. You'll probably hear me talking more and more about it as it gets closer. But what what we also do in that time is that we set aside specific chunks of time to basically tell on ourselves, to tell each other in the group what's going on with us. And so we celebrate each other's successes and what's going on with us. But, but our friendship is so tight and the cords of our relationship are so strong that we feel the freedom to share with each other our failures, uh, our failures and our weaknesses, the way that we fail uh, in our marriages, the way that we fail sexually, the way that we fail vocationally, 
And what we do is, is, is it can get pretty raw and it can get pretty honest. But what we are doing in that, in that time is we are trying to practice confession where we are letting each other know, look, this is who we really are. We're not hiding behind smoke screens. We're not bending the truth. We're not lying about our successes so that we think that we're somebody that we're not. We're being very raw and very real and because I think this is what it means to be friends is that you actually get to know each other as you really are. So this, you put these four things together and I think that kind of puts together a composite of the nature a friendship. This is what it means to be a friend. Now, I don't think those four characteristics are exhaustive. This is not an exhaustive list. But I do think these are sort of necessary. These are sort of necessary components that if you don't have these, you have, you have an acquaintance, you have a buddy, but you don't have a friend friend. So those are chosen commitment, commiseration, confrontation, confession. Okay. Let's, let's go to the second thing. Let's make this a little bit more uh, concrete and practical. Um, what's the relevance of all this? What is the relevance of, of this stuff? And so I, I want to look at the relevance of friendship sort of as it relates to three different areas. Okay? We'll look at these one at a time. Here's the first area of, of, of why I think this is relevant. The, the area of guy and girl friendships. Can guys be friends with girls? That's the million-dollar question. That's, you know, that's, the, that's the age-old question that that movie, uh, When Harry Met Sally, that's what that whole movie is about. And, and when you get to this topic of friendship, that's the question that always comes up. Can guys be friends with girls? And you're going to think that I'm wrong on this issue, but I'm not. You're going to come back in seven years and say, Matt, I, I should have listened. You were right. I was wrong. But right now you're going to think I'm crazy, and that's okay. I'm just telling you a heads up. Give me seven years and I'll prove you wrong. Um, I'm right, you're wrong. Here's what I think. Every intimate relationship between a guy and a girl is heading towards one of two places. Marriage or wounds. Every intimate, deep relationship that you have, guys and girls, is heading towards one of two destinations. Destination one, marriage. Destination two, Heartache and wounds. Let me explain. If you have a deep friendship with someone of the opposite sex, you know, somebody that you talk to, you know, late into the night, that you're, you know, talking to, texting all the time, that they really just get you, you can sort of beat yourself around, you can pour anything out in front of you, that, that they, they get you. You know, th- this really does end in one of two ways. Um, y- you could get married to them, which would be great. That would be best option, best case scenario, get married to them. Or it's going to end with heartache and with wounds because what inevitably happens is that this deep connection, it fosters intimacy, right? It it fosters a connection. And so feelings begin to flow inevitably from one side. Somebody begins to like the other person. But of course, it's never discussed. We never talk about it. But if we do end up somehow talking about it, it's made absolutely clear we are just friends. We're just friends. Yeah, man, she's just my sister. I relate to her like my, she's my sister, you know? And so what happens at some point is that one of the two in the friendship begin dating someone else, and then it starts getting weird. Where uh, the person uh, who was kind of left behind experiences some level of, of jealousy, The person who began dating this new person starts experiencing some level of guilt. 
And think about this from the, from the perspective of like the new boyfriend who's like, my girlfriend wants to go spend all this private time one-on-one with her close other guy friend and talk all the time. That's kind of weird. I mean, do you think that you are going to carry into your marriages the same sort of intensity that you have with, with, uh, with a friend of the opposite gender? I mean, do you really think, like, when I get married, let's say I get married to Jessica, uh, I'm going to start spending, all, I'm going to keep spending all this time talking to Susan. I hope not. I think that would be sinful. I mean, if you see me around Boone uh, meeting up with other women that are not my wife, that I'm pouring out my heart to and, and connecting with and sharing my life with, I hope that you would stop me or at least say, Something's really messed up about that. I don't have close, intimate friendships with girls like I do with my wife. Because I'm married. So what do you do? It's obvious. So what do you do because you're not married? What do you do in your position? Well, I think what you do is you have good friendships with people of the opposite sex, but you have general friendships. And I think this is what Christians mean. I don't like the phrase, but I think it's, I mean, I don't like it for my own bad reasons. It's a good phrase. But I think this is what Christians mean when they say guard your heart. That you really should slow your roll and guard your heart. And, and, and don't invest everything into another human being that you don't know what's going to happen. Because I think it's going towards one of two places. You think I'm wrong. I'm right. Come back in seven years. Okay. <laughs> What about the next, the next area? How, how is all this friendship stuff relevant to the topic of dating then? Well, C.S. Lewis has this great book called The Four Loves. And in this book, he's talking about the four different Greek words for love. And in one particular chapter, he kind of zeroes in on the difference between the word eros and philos. Eros is the, is the Greek word for um, erotic love. You see how we get the word e- erotic from it. Romantic love. And so he sort of pictures, he kind of gives you this image of two people uh, facing each other for obvious reasons. And then the next, the, next, uh, the next Greek word is philos, philos. And that's friendship love. That's, that's, and so the image that he gives is of two uh, people side by side, shoulder to shoulder, looking out and facing the same sort of thing. And then he sort of makes this general point, and so here's my rough translation of it for our context here. He says, I say through him, uh, the best dating relationships and the best marriages are philos, with eros peppered throughout. Put it another way, the, the best dating relationships, the best marriage relationships are, are friendship with, with romance sprinkled throughout. Sprinkly. Now, I love, um, I love hot sauce. I literally put it on everything. Um, lasagna, pizza, eggs, whatever. That's just how I roll. And, um, uh, but, but what, what I... Um, I kind of want to use that as a, as a mental image, that the pizza, the core, the foundation, the substance is friendship. And the hot sauce sprinkly, the spice on top is, the sprinkly on top is, is the romance. But the reason I do that is because, the reason I, I'm giving that to you is because we want to do the exact opposite. A lot of you, guys in particular, want the exact opposite thing. We don't want friendship first with spice sprinkled on top. We want spice and so what, what this means is, is that 
you are so driven by the fact of I want to be sexually fulfilled first and have a friendship connection second that what ends up happening is that when you walk into a room like this, you immediately rule out 98% of the room as potential mates based on looks, based on who I think is hot. And of those remaining 2%, then you start moving towards and striking up conversations and working the angles and hoping maybe with this really attractive person, maybe we'll have a friendship. Maybe we can strike up some sort of connection. And, And this is basically what you're doing. You're saying, look, I want a bowl of hot sauce with some crumbly bits of pizza in it. But my point is this. All spice and no substance will not, feel, will not fill you. All spice and no substance will not fill you. The best marriage relationships, the best dating relationships is foundationally friendship with, with romance sprinkled on top. And so my point is this. Friendship is the base and the foundation for what makes a good dating relationship. But here's how this is also relevant to dating relationships. This is how friendship is related to dating. Is that I think dating should be a community affair. Before you get thinking I'm bizarre, let me tell you what I mean by that. (laughs) I think that your friendships, I think that your friends should be deeply and integrally involved in your dating relationship. Meaning this. Do your friends like the person you're dating? What do your friends think about y'all's relationship? Do they approve? Do your friends approve? It matters. It radically matters because your friends have an, an objective vantage point on your life and on your relationship that you don't. When you start dating somebody, what happens is like you lock yourself in a snow globe. And, and what happens is that you, you cannot get outside of the snow globe to look in on it. But all of your friends can. And so they have a much better, much more objective vantage point than you do. And so if you hear yourself saying things like, well, guys... You just don't know him like I do. Yes, they do. If, if you say, look, he, he, is, he is, I know he's a jerk when, when all of y'all are around and he treats me terribly, but when it's just the two of us, um, he's fine. Look, if your friends think he is a jerk, he is a jerk. Now, I've also heard of other situations where a guy and a girl are, are going out and then they break up and then all the friends you know, kind of huddle around the guy and they're like, yeah, man. I didn't see that thing going anywhere anyway. And, um, and then the guy's like, why didn't you say this when we were going out? You suck as a friend. You were just going to let me go out with this person who you thought this was going nowhere, this was a terrible match, and we're just going out forever? This, it, this is what you thought, and you were not going to say anything. You, really, you are a terrible friend. This is how this is relevant to the context of... Dating. Last one, and then we're done with this point, and then we'll be wrapping up soon. How does this relate to marriage? This is the last one. How does this relate to marriage? Friendship is at the heart of marriage. You marry your best friend. Friendship really is the foundation and the core for what makes an amazing and great marriage. Now, for the majority of the room, I realize you are single and not married. And so I know for guys in particular on this issue, on this side of the fence for y'all, looking in, you think that marriage is a nonstop sex fest. (laughs) You really do. Guys aren't laughing because they're thinking, thanks for throwing me under the bus. But... (laughs) 
It is true. Guys think on this side of marriage, it, it's just nonstop sex. Let me break it down, okay? There are, there are 168 hours in a week. You can tr double check me on the math. 168 hours in a week. Guys, on average, you will have sex for one hour a week when you get married. And let's say you're like, that is not me, Matt. I'm like, sex god. You don't know. Okay, for you, two hours a week. You get two hours a week. Here's my point. What are you going to do for the other 166 hours that you're not naked with each other? You are going to relate to them as a friend. A friend. Marriage is friendship. Newsflash, gentlemen, heads up. <laughs> marriage is friendship. Okay. We're going to talk more about marriage in a few weeks, so that's all I'm going to say about marriage. But okay. Um, let's get to this last thing. Where do you get the power for friendship? Because if you're sitting there, you're going, look, okay, when you're going through that list, you're like, man, all, my friends do suck. I want better friends. Or how do I find better friends like this? But the point of this is not to tell them what to do. I want to talk to you about how you get the power to be a better friend. And, and I'll be real brief on this. You cannot be a good friend until you yourself have been friended, befriended, have been friended, use Facebook language. You cannot be a friend until you have been befriended by the ultimate friend. There's a passage in John 15. I'm just going to read it. You don't have to flip there. This is Jesus speaking. He says this. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus goes on and he says, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus said, look, I laid down my life for you. And that means that I now relate to you as friends. We are friends because of what I have done on the cross. And so if Jesus is the ultimate friend, think of those four characteristics. Jesus is the ultimate friend in that he has chosen to commit to you. He has chosen and deliberately committed to you in light of your shame, in light of your secrets, in light of your junk. This means that he loves you at all times, not just when you're reading the Bible, not just when you're praying, not just when you're performing well Christianly, but when you're performing terribly Christianly. He loves you at all times. Jesus is the ultimate friend in that he commiserates with you, meaning that he actually enters into your pain and into your suffering. He is the man of sorrows, as the Bible describes him. Jesus is the ultimate friend in that he's not afraid to confront you, that he actually draws out your sin in order to deal with it, not because he's fighting against you, but because he's actually fighting for you. And Jesus is the ultimate friend in that, in that he confesses to you. Not that he has sinned to confess, but, but meaning that he, he lets you in. He, he reveals the deepest part of his heart to you through the Bible, through his word. And so here's what you have to see. When you know that Jesus loves you like this, this is what frees you up to take radical risks with your friendships. This is what frees you up to love them without needing them in the same way that you did before. You're actually freed up to commit to them even when they are flaky. You are freed up to, to commiserate and enter into their pain with them. You are freed up to share hard things with them and to say hard things to them. But here's the thing, and I'm just going to end with this. You will never take those risks 
You will never be a good friend. You will never be this loving until you are first enjoying the friendship of Jesus. You will never be a good friend until you are enjoying the friendship of Jesus. And so the question I just want to leave you with is this. Is that how you relate to him? Is that how you relate to Jesus? Do you see him as the ultimate friend? And out of that friendship, do you move out into the world? That's the question I want to leave you with. So let's pray. Father, uh, give us eyes to see the ultimate friend, Jesus, uh, who laid down his life for people like us. And we confess uh, we really are, we are crappy friends. We are selfish. We gossip. We smile to each other's face. And then we trash each other behind uh, each other's backs. And I pray that you'd forgive us. Uh, and again, would you give us eyes to see the way that Jesus relates to us and empower us by your grace and by your spirit to do the same. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.